We're looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. So let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Bible says that all men are like grass, and that all man's glory is like the flower of the field, and that the grass withers and that flowers fade away, but that God's word stands forever. So we're going to pray. Let me pray for us before we look at it more tonight. Father, we have to agree with what your word says, that, that we are frail and we are fleeting, and our time on this earth is uh, relatively brief, and our words pass away. But you say that your words last forever. And so, Father, we, we pray that, that you would be with us tonight, and that you would speak those words that would last forever to us. And that you would, by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would impress those words that last forever into us. And that you would change us by them. And so, Father, we ask that expectantly and hopefully and thankfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back over the summer sometime, I watched a show on Amazon uh, called Goliath. Anybody seen Goliath? Anybody else? No, none. Okay, good. Well, let me tell you about it. Uh, it's, it's basically a lawyer a drama, and it's a pretty rough, rough show. I don't know that I would really recommend it. Uh, has, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty strong. 
Uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays the main character, a guy named Billy McBride. He's the, uh, the, the uh, attorney that sort of everything centers around. And basically, Billy, he is essentially the, uh, the perfect attorney for the clients that he gets, at least in the first season. Because his client is this, uh, this sort of average, everyday lady who lost her husband in an accident. And she, she's just sort of the uh, every woman. She's sort of a nobody. And uh, she's going up against one of the biggest and most powerful companies in the world. And they're represented by this incredibly slick and powerful uh, law firm. They're the, uh, the Goliath character, as you can imagine. And so Billy is really the perfect attorney for her. Because Billy actually used to work for and, in fact, founded the law firm that's representing this enormous company. So he knows it inside and out because he started it. Uh, So not only does he know the company really, really well, but he knows the law really, really well. But at some point in his past, from founding the company to present day in the show, uh, he basically hit rock bottom. And he, he himself goes from this slick, you know, big shot lawyer to sort of average everyday Joe. And so he really identifies with his client. And so he's perfect for, for this lady because he gets both sides. He completely understands and knows the ways of, of the, the big corporate law firm. And he totally gets the same time this average everyday person and he cares about her he's really he's perfect and so you, you you sort of as you watch the show you think if you were on trial for your life against somebody like this there is nobody better than billy mcbride and that actually i think is a little hint just a little flavor of what this passage is saying about jesus Uh, This passage is all about how Jesus is our high priest, that he represents us to God, and that he's the perfect representative for us. Really, because he gets both sides, because he is God, and he is a real person like us. So if you've been with us, you know this semester we're going through the book of Hebrews, and our theme every week is better than you can imagine. Uh, The author of Hebrews is writing to this group of Christians that essentially grew up Jewish and then converted to Christianity. But now they're being tempted to go back to their Jewish roots. They're being persecuted. And so they're essentially wrestling with the question, is Jesus worth it? Uh, The question of what's what's so great about Jesus anyway? And so the author of Hebrews spends this entire letter basically showing them, look, Jesus is way better than you can imagine. And tonight what we see in our passage is that Jesus is the better, the best high priest. He's the great high priest. So we're going to look at three things. Uh, The first thing I want you to see is the idea of the high priest. Sort of uh, some... Uh, groundwork. Secondly, we're going to look at the reality of the high priest. And thirdly, we'll look at the benefits 
of the high priest, the benefits to us. All right, so first, the idea of the high priest. Um, yeah, look, if this sounds familiar, this is where, uh, this is really what we talked about uh, a, a week or two ago. And we're going to talk about it again in a couple of weeks in, in different ways, as the, as the author of Hebrews does. Um, but the big idea from this passage uh, centers around this whole concept of high priest. And in this passage, we, we, it helps us because it gives us some idea of what that is. And especially for us here and now, right, we need to know what is a high priest. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So look, in the Old Testament system, uh, the idea was uh, that, that mankind needs some sort of representative before God. And so God institutes this office called high priest. It's really, uh, much like we just said, an attorney. Um, and and right, we may not like the way that that sounds or feels, that we need somebody to represent us to God. That might sound sort of foreign to us, but... But if you think about it, we're really, I think, somewhat used to that. We have representation as sort of part of what we do, right? Government officials represent us as just part of the way we work. Uh, Attorneys represent us, those sorts of things. And so God appoints this office of priest to represent people. And if you remember from last week where we left off in Hebrews, uh, the context, I think, is going to help us see a little bit of of why that's important. Remember last week, uh, chapter 4, 12 and 13, it talked about God's word, right? How it's living and active and it, it gets down inside of us and what God's word does is it exposes us. It shows us what we're really like. And what we see, what we're really like is that we're really pretty awful people, that we're, we're sinners, that we do a lot of awful things. And so when, you know, when and if you realize that God really does see all the way down into you, that, that God sees what you're like when nobody else is looking, that he sees, he sees your deepest thoughts, that he knows what you really are, how selfish we can be, how vindictive, how cold towards him we can be, um, then it's really good news actually That somebody will represent you and represent me. And so really the kind of the only application I want from this first point to show you is I want you to see that this is actually God's idea. It's God's idea. Look at uh, 5.4. It says that uh, someone can be a high priest only when called by God. And then 5.5 five goes on to show how even Jesus didn't exalt himself to the office of high priest, but God appointed him to this office. And then he gives two uh, quotes from the Old Testament to show that. And so just for a second, I want, you to, I want us to stop and, and see how beautiful that is. That this is God's idea. Right? Um, it's not... Uh, you remember maybe a couple of weeks ago, I, I told you about the pastor friend of mine who had this, said he grew up with this idea that uh, basically God hated sinners and decides to send his lightning bolt of judgment down on them. And Jesus jumps in the way of the lightning bolt and says, you know, I'll take it for them. And that's really what the gospel was. 
And what I want you to see is that that's a bad picture of God, right? It's not like Jesus saw an attack taking place and he, and he jumps in and takes the beating for us. It's actually God's idea. Um, so what it means is that, that we have a God that loves us. It's his idea to say, you need someone to represent you. Because you can't do it. Because you're exposed. And so it, it's good news. The second thing I want you to see from this passage uh, is the reality of the high priest. And by that, I mean uh, the idea that uh, the fact that Jesus is a real person, that our high priest is very real. Um, and so just so you know where we're going, basically, this is the main idea of the passage. And then our third point, the benefits, we're going we're to apply it. So just so you have some idea. Um, yeah, the whole passage centers around the idea that, that Jesus suffered and tempted as a real person, as a real man. And look, these are, these are deep waters to swim in. To try to think about, how, to think about Jesus being tempted and what that's like and to think about him being God being a real person. Right? These are incredibly profound truths and hard to understand, but... I want you to see that what Jesus did was incredibly hard. Look at verse 15. Uh, It says that Jesus in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So if you recall, uh, Jesus, right after he's baptized, he's driven out into into the desert, right? To be tempted by Satan himself. And Satan tempts him, uh, he goes, what, 40 days without food. So Jesus is hungry and he's tired. And Satan tempts him essentially, right, to to not suffer. Turn these uh, these stones to bread. You're hungry, right? Why would that be bad? Uh, um, Throw yourself off. God will, the temple, God will send his angels to save you. He loves you, right? He's essentially tempting him, tempting Jesus, put your needs and desires first. Just once, do something for yourself. And he doesn't do it. And then he goes on all throughout his life, right? He faces all kinds of temptation and suffering. People were always hounding Jesus, always wanting things from him. Just the scene, you know, when he realizes, when he hears about John the Baptist, who was his relative and good friend, John the Baptist, when he hears that he dies, Jesus wants to go somewhere and be by himself and mourn. And when he tries to do that, he sees a crowd of people. And what does he do? He has compassion on them and he heals and he teaches Put your desires first just for once. And he doesn't do it. And now look, you might be thinking that Jesus' temptations, they couldn't have really been that hard. Right? Because Jesus never really, he never sinned, so he never really knew how, in quotes, sweet the alternative would be. Right? I think it would be easy to think that. But listen, I want you to listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis on that subject. This is brilliant. 
C.S. Lewis says, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. That's brilliant. A man who, go, who, sorry, a man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it, what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. That's from mere Christianity. So, do you see that it was incredibly hard? It was, in a sense, infinitely difficult for Jesus to face temptation. He faced temptation that you and I don't face. Have you ever thought about this? Right? He could have actually relied on his deity to escape suffering at any moment. He could have done that. And, but, but he did it as a real person. He didn't rely on his deity. And I think if, if you're like me, I tend to think sort of by default that that's what Jesus did. That Jesus was almost like some sort of um, like messianic robot, right, going through life. Um, yeah, just, just going through the motions. He's been pre-programmed to do it. And so, right, just goes through life like must not sin, Right? How hard could it have been? And that at any point he could slip into to God mode and just be above it. Right? Must show compassion to humans. That's kind of what I, I tend to think of it's like. And passages like this one and plenty of others fly in the face of that and say, no, not at all. That Jesus came as a real person. In this regard, just like me and you. And was tempted and he was perfect. It even says that Jesus learned obedience in uh, 5.8. So how could, he, how could he learn obedience? And the only way he could do that is as a real person. He wasn't pre-programmed with the details of what it meant to be the high priest. Right When he was six years old or ten years old, he didn't, he didn't rely on his omniscience, right? Knowing everything and know like, well, I'm going to, you know, and all the details of what that was going to look like. But he learned it over time. Um, we get a glimpse of that in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It's referring to the very end of his life when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he knows that he's on the verge of his death and he begins, to, he begins to realize the full weight of what it means to be the great high priest of his people. That he's, that he's going to face death. But he's not just going to face death. He's going to face death as sin. He's going to face his holy and perfect father as sin itself. And 
as you can, you know, when you read that account of it, as you see reflected here, he's utterly overwhelmed by it. Because he faces it as a real person. It's really incredible if you think about it. There have been a lot of people that have faced death a lot more boldly in one sense than Jesus. Because Jesus in the garden, he comes undone. Right? Starts sweat crying and sweating drops of blood. He doesn't face death like some sort of superhero. He doesn't, right? You don't get a Jesus that looks at death and facing the you know, unlimited wrath of God for his people and just look at it and say, bring it on. That's not what we get. You get a real person that, that looks down into that and is overwhelmed by it and yet still heads into it. And he does it on behalf of his people. He does it for us. All right, so we see the reality of Jesus as our high priest, uh, that, that our high priest is a real person. So what does that mean for us? That's our third point, last point. And it's, like I said, essentially our application. And so we've got two. Two big things of what it means for us that Jesus is our high priest and that our high priest was a real person. Those two things, first, are sympathy and secondly, access. We get sympathy and access. All right, so first, because Jesus is our great high priest, he sympathizes with us. Look at 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Because Jesus was a real human being, and because he was tempted in every respect like we are, he's able, it means that he gets us. He, he can sympathize with what it's like to be tempted in every regard. Uh, 5.2 says that a high priest... Uh, because he himself is beset with weakness, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And so it means that Jesus, right, he doesn't just know what it's like because he's omniscient. He doesn't just have this sort of objective knowledge of what human beings deal with when they face temptation. He actually experienced it firsthand. And, get this, this, this might be my favorite thing from the, from the semester. He doesn't just experience it firsthand. He doesn't just remember having experienced it firsthand. But this is saying that he, in a sense, he experiences it now with us. That he sympathizes now. That he feels, he feels alongside of us now. Our temptations and suffering resonate with Jesus right now. That's really amazing. Uh, when I was working on this, I came across this really fascinating phenomenon that some of you might be aware, aware of called sympathetic resonance. Anybody? Um, so the basic idea is this. If, you took, if we had two pianos in here and we opened them both up and you pluck one particular string on one piano, the same string on the other piano would, be, would begin to vibrate. 
you know, ever so slightly, but the, the same one. Because it's the same, right? The same frequency, I believe. And, and it resonates. Uh, if you took two tuning forks, right? Um, if you took two of the same uh, note, you take two that are, you know, A, and you hit one of them, and then you mute it, the other one would still would be vibrating also. Right? You get the idea. Because, because if you took an A and a C, it wouldn't work. Right? They're not the same. That's the reason why some singers can sing so high that they can actually shatter glass. Because they can sing in you know, whatever the frequency of glass is. I don't know how it works. But that's the idea. When you get... When they're the same, it resonates. And it actually affects it. The other thing responds. Right? So you, you get the idea. Right? What an amazing thing. That, it's a great picture of Jesus as our high priest. Because he, he's the same stuff as us. When we experience as his people temptation and suffering, it resonates with him. He feels it with us. And look, I think that's an incredibly comforting truth. Right? The fact that Jesus experienced temptation the same as us in every respect means that Jesus knows what it feels like whatever you're facing. Whatever you're dealing with. And now look, it doesn't mean that he faced every specific temptation imaginable. Right? Like, he's, he never dealt with the temptation of driving too fast in a car or tweeting out something mean for obvious reasons. But it, at least the, at the very core of whatever temptation it is, he has experienced it. And it resonates with him right now. I hope, that, I hope this almost sounds a little blasphemous. I hope it, it, it sort of unsettles you a little bit. Because it means that whatever, you're, whatever temptation you face and you feel disgusting even for the temptation, like whatever it might be, the lustful thoughts that you are tempted by, um, the, the ways in which you're tempted to control your eating, uh, the ways you're um, tempted with attraction to the same sex, whatever it might be, It means that Jesus, Jesus looks at you and he says, yeah, I know what that's like. He gets it. And so it means no matter how ashamed of yourself you are for what tempts you, that you can know that, that, that you can go to Jesus and you don't have a, you don't have a high priest, you don't have an attorney before God that goes, oh, okay, okay, seriously? Okay, gross. You have a, a savior, a, a high priest that gets it. And whatever suffering you're facing, uh, relationally, physically, whatever it is, right, Jesus can identify with it. it in the most intimate way. Right? Think about how that would have landed with these people struggling with being persecuted. Gosh, does Jesus get us? I mean, what, why are we going through Does he even care? Like, oh yeah, I get it. 
Yeah, is that the Jesus that, that we know? Because that's the real Jesus. All right, secondly and finally, because Jesus is our great high priest, it means that we have access. We have access to God. Look at uh, 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, think about how that would have landed with the original audience. Folks that grew up in the, uh, in the you know, as um, uh, Israelites, right, in the Jewish Old Testament system. So high priest, right, when did you meet with God? Who met with God? Well, the high priest is the only one that went into the presence of God. Went into the tabernacle one day, right, the day of atonement, went... Yeah, one day, one person. That was it. He went to offer sacrifice for sins for himself and for the people. And that was it. And then the author of Hebrews is coming along and saying, you have a high priest. And because you have a high priest, you get to go into the throne room. You get to go into the throne of God. You get to be with him. You get to be in his presence. You just get to walk in. Uh, years, years ago, uh, I was working in a church, and one of the elders in the church uh, was, a, was the president of a bank in town. And every once in a while, I would uh, go by and see him. You know, I'd set up a meeting. And so if I was going to go see him, I would, uh, again, set up the meeting and would show up at the bank and talk to the receptionist there in the, in the front and tell her who I was and who I was there to see. And she'd tell me to have a seat. She would call back to his uh, private or personal rather secretary and uh, explain, you know, who I was and what was going on. And then uh, if he, everything was okay, then she'd say like, all right, you can go back now. And that's, you know, pretty normal, right? Um, but then one day, Oh, and I guess I should add this part. And so I would go in and, and meet him, and how would I meet him, right? I would meet him, and we would shake hands, and we would visit. And then one day, I was walking around. Uh, we were, I was hanging out with his son, who was in our youth group. I was the youth director, and we were doing something, and he said, hey, let's go by and see my dad. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. All right, and so what was the process? Well, there was, there was no appointment, and as we walked in, he just kept walking past the receptionist and was like, hey, so-and-so. And she called him by name, and, and we just kept walking in, and we walked right past the other secretary, and we just walked right into his office. And he walked right into his office into this huge hug. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is pretty obvious, right? It's his daddy. He's the son And because he's the son, he has just immediate, natural, unfettered access. He just gets to walk in. And he walks into this, to the love of a father. And look, that's just a little taste. Because Jesus is our high priest, because he's the son of God. And because he's a real man. Right? Because he gets both sides. Because he is both sides. That's just a little taste of what's ours. We get to be brought in and have access. And so look, if you feel exposed 
or guilty for what you've done or just maybe because of who you are. Um, or, or maybe even because you're realizing you're like these people and you, you feel just sort of, you know, uh, meh about Jesus. Like, is he really that big a deal? When you see that, right, it means if Jesus is your high priest, then you get to go with confidence to him. If you're like me, I tend to think, I tend to think of God as the problem. In other words, he's the reason I feel guilty. And then when I think about him, that if, if I want to approach him, I need to... I need to do something else. I need to, you know, wait a few days. Um, I need to go a few days without having done that thing again or thought those things again before I can really show up and like, hey, God, you know, come to him again. I need to have some sort of distance like that or some sort of effort put in. And then maybe I can sort of ease in. And, and that's exactly wrong. Right, because Jesus is our great high priest, it means that we can immediately go into God in, the, in our sin. And we get to go with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. And we know that we're going to find the open arms of a father, that we're going to be met with grace. Because it's all about what Jesus has done for us and not about us. It's about Jesus as our representative. And that's why Christianity is good news. And that's what's offered to you uh, and even to me tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are, that you are God, that you came to this earth and you were and you are a real person, that you suffered and were tempted on our behalf and yet without sin. And you love us in ways in which we can scarcely imagine. Jesus, would that love reign true in all of our hearts? And we ask it in your name. Amen.